This is Joe Basso from Music Radar, the place for music makers, and I'm speaking with Joe Satriani. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing great, Joe. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you again. So you've just finished a big, was it a worldwide tour, a European tour? Well, you know, uh, it seems like a bit of a blur, but we were in Europe starting April 30th. We got back in the middle of the summer and then headed out to Australia, New Zealand, and then uh, a winding trip through South America. Went through Chile and quite a lot of Brazil, um, Argentina, played in Peru and in Colombia and in Venezuela, and then had a bit of a stay in Mexico. I played a few shows in Mexico City, and, uh, and then we've been home for about a week or two. How did the shows go? It was fantastic. I mean, uh, when I look back, it's, uh, it's amazing we got through the whole thing. Uh, you know, from our perspective, the logistics are just crazy, especially when you fly all the time, you know, and you, you do 20 or 30 flights in six weeks. And uh, at the end of it, you look back and you go, wow, we didn't miss a flight. The gear almost was at every show. <laughs> and But every show happened, and the, the audiences were great, and we had a great time, and everybody got home. And, and uh, so that's, that's what a successful tour is, you know. It's one of those things that you really take it in after you're, you're at home for a couple of days, and you go, wow, that was pretty intense, you know. Now, Stu Hamm was part of your touring band. That's right, yeah. It's really been great. I mean, uh, he wound up part of the band, not in the usual way, because we, uh, we were uh, actually rehearsing with a different bass player, and then all of a sudden we had a, a problem with scheduling that we could not overcome, uh, because uh, Brad uh, had this work that he thought he was going to be able to reschedule, and it didn't work out, so suddenly it was like, oh my God, we need a bass player, and we got like four days. You know, you know. In the back of my mind, I kept thinking, "Oh, it'd be really cool if Stu came around." And I hadn't really thought of that before because I guess I hadn't been in rehearsals, you know, and I hadn't really thought about where the show was going to go. But faced with this, you know, problem, and we, we were kind of sad to lose Brad. We, I started thinking, well, you know, if the sh if the show was going to take a different turn, uh, who would be the guy to bring in? And so I gave Stu a call and. Uh, he was just at that point where he was about to, you know, write down in ink a, a bunch of his uh, gigs that were sh piling up for the summer um, and and the early fall. And um, and luckily, he said, "I'll move it around if you want me to come." So uh, it was uh, like old times getting him back, and uh, it, it really worked well. And, uh, I think that um, the stuff that he brings in, because he's such a different kind of bass player, right, right. Uh, he's got just a very different musician's approach. To, to playing bass, uh, I, I, I think it really added some, I don't know, some new directions, especially to the live record that we hadn't really thought of before. So it's been really cool to have, you know, um, I mean, if usually you take care of all these things during rehearsals and, and or let's say during the making of a record, but all of, all of sort of getting used to having a new guy in the band has happened in front of thousands of people every night. <laughs> so it's kind of a cool way of doing it. It makes it a little bit more exciting. So. Was it hard for him to cram for this? I mean, he had to learn a bunch of new material and the new album. It must have been, you know. I mean, he he didn't complain, God bless him. And a couple of times he would give me that look like, because I'm notorious for putting the solos in some strange key, you know. That I can imagine if you've only, you know, if you, you're trying to learn 25 songs in four days and the guitar players put all the solos in unrelated keys. <laughs> 
at one point in the show you probably go is this the song where it goes to E flat A flat B flat or what you know but he didn't seem to have any problems with that you know I think all of us you know once we hit the stage we realized that the real issue was since we were playing so much of the new album was how are we going to make this work on stage and and that is used that's the the central issue when you start a tour because you really don't know you have faith that everything's going to work out but you you really don't know and you know after every show everyone's talking about how this song or that song was successful or this part of that song maybe we should change so i didn't really think about that i just assumed that there would be no problem but i i think that Stu made me feel that confident you know which is great he never let me uh in on whether he was nervous or not about being able to remember all that stuff so quickly you know now you have a new product coming out and not the saturator but ibanez is putting out your black dog guitar that's right yeah well you know this goes back i guess about two years we were planning on doing uh the surfing with the alien uh, commemorative guitar and i had talked to rob nishita at ibanez about doing the commemorative black dog you know which was the name of my very first prototype guitar that became the js line you know right. the basis of the js line is going back 20 years and and that guitar you know was sort of a frankenstein 540 radius with just there were so many things about it that had been changed there had been holes that had been filled and the thing had been painted many times the neck had been shaved frets everything about it was different except that the basic piece of wood came from the, the japanese basswood stock and it was originally carved to be a 540 radius and that was the guitar that I used to illustrate with scribbles every night before a show. And from 88 through 90, that became uh, sort of like my main guitar. And it was photographed quite a few times by people who were curious about it. And then certainly for the back of uh, Flying in a Blue Dream, right. uh, that, that sort of set that look in stone, you know, especially for the fans. So the guys that I've been as said, we'd love to see if something like this is possible but no one knew how it was going to happen I, and the idea brought to me was you think you could do like 500 of those you know <laughs> and i'm going well i do draw a lot but that's a lot of work you you better give me like six months you know because i've got a record and a tour and all this other stuff going on and so while i was waiting for them to sort of organize that the nam show came and i i was backstage at ibanez at the nam show and Rob Nishida walked in and said, we want you to see something, and they give me this guitar, and I'm looking at it, and it looks exactly like my black dog, except it looks better, because it looks like my black dog looked back in 1990, and I'm looking at it, and for a second I go, how is this possible? Because I know the real black dog is sitting in my storage facility, and it doesn't look this good anymore, because it had been stolen, and the thieves had rubbed off all the designs, and then I'd redone it, and you know, it, it had gone through changes already and it was really freaky to see this thing that looked absolutely exactly like it did in, in 1990 and then he told me well this is what we did we got all the best photographs of this guitar you know when it was illustrated by you at its perfect point you know and we hired a japanese artist to meticulously copy it you know down to the last millimeter and here it is and so uh, there i am i'm looking at this beautifully illustrated guitar and it's completely finished uh so i don't have to worry about anything rubbing off 
and it played like a dream because it was it was the one that we tweaked by hand before it hit any sort of you know laser lathe machine right. so it was really it really feels like a handcrafted instrument and i fell in love with this thing and they said well you can keep it and and i've been playing it on uh on tour every night since then it's it's really it's it's really uh i don't know i guess every night that i play it the instrument becomes more dear to me because it uh the history of it starts to sink in more and more the fact that that was the really the earliest prototype that so many talented guys at, at Ibanez had their hands around that, carving that, sanding it, trying to get that neck to be exactly the way I wanted it to be. And all of the things that we learned about that guitar as a model came from that actual piece. It's just cool to look down and see all those scribbles. Uh, it was, a, you know, from an artistic point of view, it was a different phase in my illustrating life. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so now it's available. Um, I'm not too sure about how they how they work out taking orders i do know that once you order this guitar that there's a you know there's a waiting period and but you you wind up getting one that is once again it's it's hand illustrated by someone who is uh, a true artisan in japan and they are copying you know as i said every little nuance of of that original wow. state i guess of 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 that guitar the way it was uh, that that one day in 1990 when when it was photographed. On a different note, let's talk about Chickenfoot. Sure. From what I understand, you guys are going into recording soon. Now. Very soon. I ran into Sammy yesterday, and uh, we confirmed that we're going to pile in this Sunday and start rehearsing and finishing up writing. There'll be some recording happening along the way, and we've got studio time booked out at the end of this year. So I, I think that December is going to be a very pivotal month this, uh, at the end of this year, and we'll hopefully finish up uh, all of the tracks for, for record. You know, I, I hesitate to say Chickenfoot because the more I say it, the more it becomes the name of the band. But let me just say right now, it is not the name of the band. <laughs> okay, I was going to ask you, Chickenfoot, it's one of those names like, could be great, could be weird. Um, <laughs> I always thought it was weird. I mean, but and but you know, the very first you know phone call I had with Sam, he said, "I've got this band called Chickenfoot. Don't worry, it's not going to be the name of the band." You know, but then we had to call it something because no one, you know, we thought, well, we could call it the Chad Smith Experience or you know the Michael Anthony Mad Anthony Cafe Bashers or the you know Sammy's Wabo Extras or whatever you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, but this, for some reason, I, I don't know, if you know Sam, it makes perfect sense. Because, uh, you know, Sam's got a million ideas every minute, and he'll keep calling you on the phone and convincing you that it's the greatest idea in the world. And uh, because the man is endlessly creative and enthusiastic about everything that he does, and it, it, it's a real thrill, But that, and that's where the chicken foot idea came from, and it just was so funny. And I think, it, in a way, it was so bad that we loved it. You know, were there other names? <laughs> oh yeah, there have been hundreds of names, and and I, secretly I believe that he is sitting on a name that he truly believes is the best name, and he's keeping it all to himself until the right moment. So it might not be Chickenfoot. Oh, it's definitely not going to be Chickenfoot. I guarantee it. But I know that we all, you know, the band and you and everyone else has to call it something in the meantime. So <laughs> it might as well be Chickenfoot. I think the name of the band should be. It might as well be Chickenfoot. I think is perhaps the 
true title of the band, but I have no idea how that's going to turn out. Now, to you tell you the truth, Joe, I'm, all, I'm concerned about the songs, the recording, and my guitar playing, and I, I could care less what we call it. I'm going to wait. You know, I've learned that you can wait on those things. When you've got a schedule that's so improbable as this one, you have to really prioritize and just focus on what you can actually handle at the moment. So right now, you know, between my tour, Sammy's tour, the Chili Peppers tour, the only thing that we can all really focus on is the fact that we've written two albums worth of songs, the material sounds amazing, and we've got a couple of weeks here and there, you know, to record this stuff, so let's just do that, worry about the name later. Recently, Sammy made pretty big headlines for his comment that the band was going to be bigger than Zeppelin. (laughs) Sammy being Sammy, what do you make of these comments? Oh, I'm sure what he said was it's going to, it sounds like Led Zeppelin, and and I I have no idea. I can't imagine Sam saying anything like that, but, um, you know, this is one of those things where we are truly, like, over-the-top excited about this. When we get together, it is a very, it's just a, a, a very energetic kind of rock music that reminds you of something like early Zeppelin, I guess, let me put it that way because of the roots that everybody in the band has and what they bring you know, to the table. This album will be coming out in 2009, so it's a completely new world. I, I think that the, you know, when, when people say, uh, when Let's Sam's being interviewed or Chad or someone, and they, they're asking, what's it sound like? You know, they have to say something. And, um, Still, though, when you, when you heard those comments or read them, did you, did you cringe? Did you go, oh, my God? What did you think? Yeah, I think anyone uh, who has to sort of, you know, defend a comment like that, <laughs> you know, first it's like the first thing you realize is like, you know, that, you know, interviews can be, you know, dicey because you really never know if anything is true that's being flown around and because, you know, comments fly around and, and uh, they sometimes are, are credited as being true, but maybe they're not and they get twisted and so what's the point of reacting to something that may not be true? And then, you know, so in those few seconds, you're going, well, how do I react to that, you know? So I think, let's put it this way, if we were sitting around at a rehearsal and somebody in the band said, man, we're going to be bigger than Led Zeppelin, we'd all just laugh and throw something at them. So, <laughs> so I mean, it's just a ridiculous comment that means nothing. And I, I, I really don't believe that Sam ever said that. I think it was just twisted. Sammy's one of those split personalities out there. There are those people that love him, and he has his detractors. Mm. Let me tell you something. Yesterday, I was at the plant studios in Sausalito, and I was there for amp testing. So I was there with uh, Chris Kelly and engineer Tim Yarning, and we were testing different PV amplifier designs that we're working on, working on a couple of them. And Sam was meeting with John Cunaberti uh, at uh, Sam's place, uh, getting ready for the recording next week, and, and uh, Sam found out I was hanging out, and he said, oh, I'll just stop by and say hi. So he comes in, and, and uh, Sam is like, you know, when he walks into a room, he just lights the whole place up. He just has this great energy. Right. But at the same time, you know, he, he stayed for a few minutes and said, I'm going to split, and then he leaves, and then the owner of the studio comes in and says, oh, you know what, Sammy wanted me to play you this track, you know. And I thought, well, that's funny. He didn't tell me, you know, that, that he wanted me to hear this track, you know. Well, and this is kind of important because really at the heart of Sam is not this boastful, over-the-top personality that you might think, you know. He's actually a sensitive musician, you know, who really is totally into the music, you know. 
and I know this from from spending so much time with them off stage, you know. So me and Chris and the guys, we go, oh, cool. So we walk across the hall into A, and and we put on this track, and it's uh, Will Lee on bass and Neil Sean on guitar, Nard and Michael Walden playing drums, uh, Niall Rogers playing rhythm guitar, maybe some keys, some background singers, and Sammy uh, singing lead, and they're doing um, Thank You for Letting Be Myself, you know, Sly Stone sure. song. Yeah. And it is an amazing recording, and Sammy's voice is so beautiful. It sounds so soulful, and it's got everything. It's just like one of, you know, when he gets up to a mic and he starts singing, you go, that guy's voice has everything a voice is supposed to have, you know. And he's singing in the pocket, and the pitch is perfect, and it's soulful, and it's, and I was on the phone, you know, three minutes later saying, Sammy, that is amazing that vocal performance is absolutely amazing you know i think he was kind of shy about it that's why he didn't walk into the room and drag us over there when he was there you know but he he was so into it that for you know until he records his next song that's in his heart is that that song and how we had a moment with those guys and you know and and sam's the kind of guy that'll you know for that track that sly stone track you know he just showed up in the studio for a half hour did two or three takes and and split that's kind of like, I think, what people have to know about him, that he's a, what would you, I don't know how to put that into a small, like, one sentence or a soundbite, <laughs> but uh, he he works totally off inspiration, but yet, technically, he's got everything that a singer needs to draw from, but he's a guy who just has to, you know, he wants to be totally into it when he goes and he does something, and when it hits, it's pretty it's pretty astounding. So. Now, is he going to be playing guitar in the band? You know, he has not yet touched a guitar any time I'm around. And I keep, you know, bringing in songs saying, this is perfect, you know, for this part of the song where you pick up a guitar and we do this thing together. And he looks at me and goes, I'm not playing guitar when you're playing guitar. <laughs> so I haven't convinced him yet, but I know I will. Because I know, you know, uh, the first time that we played together in Vegas... He did bring a guitar out for the for the uh, the last song that we played, and I knew that I would connect with him. I knew that we had that thing where we could have musical dialogues on stage, you know. And I like his playing, and he, you know, he's a blues player at heart. So we we share that, you know, that common thread in our playing. And uh, so I'm always, I'm constantly writing parts for him, but he, I haven't yet convinced him to play them <laughs> because i was going to ask how do you think your playing is going to change in this band particularly if you might be playing some more rhythmic parts well yeah i mean some more rhythmic parts let's put it this way in a normal band situation you playing 90 percent rhythm and ensemble you know lines with a band you know a bass player keyboard drums and stuff like that so yeah so although we have not you know created you know perfect three and a half minute heavy pop songs yet we've been all of our arrangements are kind of long and there's lots of room for everybody in the band to stretch out still it's the songs are vocal songs they're not instrumental which means that i get to be part of the band and sammy is on top weaving the melodies in and around so right then and there that's like 180 degrees different from the joe satriani gig which is you know i may play the opening riff but i'm playing melodies and solos all the time 90 percent of the time you know so this is a complete reversal, and it's more like, it's funny, it's more like what I grew up playing like. I mean, that's, I groomed myself to be a guitar player in a band, you know, sort of like, maybe more like Jimmy Page was more like my model. Right. Always thinking until I improbably 
suddenly had this solo career as an instrumentalist. And had I really, you know, in 88, I had to learn how to do the solo gig. Up until then, I'd been spending decades being the Jimmy Page guy. <laughs> so this playing with, with Chad, Mike, and, and Sammy it feels very natural. Actually, who are your rhythm guitar influences? Well, there you go. I mean, there, there's a big difference between, let's say, the Hendrix approach and the Jimmy Page approach. They're very different. I've never had to explain it, but I know that if you're in a band and you start playing the Jimmy Page approach and it's not appropriate, someone will turn to you and say, that's not appropriate. <laughs> play more like, and, you know, Hendrix would be the other alternative of how you play. And the thing is, is that Jimmy really didn't, I mean, uh, Jimmy Page is not known for to weaving together melody and uh, rhythmic figures and and harmony that are part and parcel of the vocal part, you know. The Jimmy Page approach would be more of uh, supplying a riff and then supplying chords and really putting, uh, I would say, more of a distance between what the vocalist and what the guitar player are doing. It's it's simply a stylistic approach. And, you know, Hendrix grew up playing through that soul chitlin circuit, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. That's just a different kind of guitar playing altogether. Hey, Joe, thank you very much. You're welcome, Joe. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you again. This is Joe Basso from Music Radar, the place for music makers, and I've been speaking with Joe Satriani. Joe, take care. Okay, man. Talk Uh, to you again soon. Talk to you again. Bye-bye.